0: What would you do if you made it to the end of the world? Hope it's good to see you. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here, um, and I'm really glad to be worshiping with with you this morning. That is from one of my favorite movies of all time. It is called The Truman Show. Uh, And if I spoiled part of the end of that movie for you, I apologize, but you had 23 years. So um, I I don't know what to tell you other than there's a little bit more. This is the second week of Advent 2021. So you can take me to the next slide, that would be great. The title of this talk today is, When Will All of This Happen? When will it happen? It's a question that we ask. Sometimes it's a question that we ask about the end of the world. What if you did make it to the end of the world? What would you do? Would any of it have been worth it? Would you still be thinking about the career change you could have made? Would you still be thinking about studying something else in college? Would you still be thinking about that relationship that didn't work out? Would you still be wishing that the coach put you in in the fourth quarter? You could have won state. Would any of it have been worth it? Would your life lose its purpose? Whether someone is religious or not, all of us have to come to this question at some point. What would you do if you made it to the end of the world? To the end of the world. As Christians, we have to talk about this because Jesus talked about the end of the world. He promised that it was going to happen. He promised that he'd be coming back and the world as we know it would come to an end. If you're not a religious person, you have to come to this question too. Because as we know, the sun is burning up. Someday this earth will not be here. So again, welcome to Hope. We're so glad that you're here. We believe it's no accident. We've been praying for you. Some of you are turning to the person who invited you today. You're like, I knew this was a cult. It's just a creepy place talking about the end of the world. What would you do? One of my favorite quotes about the end of the world comes from Martin Luther. Somebody asked him, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? He said, I'd plant an apple tree. And I wonder if they wondered, well, why? Is there something profound about an apple tree? And he said, it's what I was going to do anyway. His life was in order. He had peace. In other words, he could say, I'm not God. I'm not in control, but I have peace. To our great surprise, it's possible to have peace without having control. It's hard to believe sometimes, but it is possible. I wonder if Martin Luther gave R.E.M. the hint to their lyric, It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Good luck getting that out of your head for the rest of the week. (laughs) Man, it's been stuck in my head all weekend. Could you plant a tree? Would you still have peace? Jesus does promise you peace. Jesus, the God who comes into this world, who says, I'm going to come back someday, and the world as you know it will never be the same, he says, don't worry, you can have peace. He says this in the book of John chapter 14. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. He says this to his disciples on the last night of his life, right after his life is about to fall apart entirely, he's going to be executed in front of the entire community. And Jesus gives his disciples this parting word, I'm leaving you with a gift and that gift is peace of mind and heart. Things are about to get out of control, but you can still have peace. Peace. Now, the peace that I give you is a gift that the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid because since the peace that I give you can't be found in the world, it also can't be taken from the world, even if the world is falling apart. So I want to encourage you today. Whether you are sitting there today thinking everything is fine, I feel fine, my world is okay, or if you think your world feels like it's falling apart, there is peace for you. Now, if you feel anxious about it, that's okay. I think it's normal to feel anxious when we think about the end of the world as we know it because we feel out of control and we feel anxious when we don't have control. And we don't, When we feel anxious and we don't have control, we try to grab onto control, right? Jesus' disciples, they did this when they were asking Jesus about the end of the world as they knew it. They asked this question, when will all this happen? I think it's a question of trying to take control of what's going to take place. I mean, Maybe if we knew the details, maybe if we had some more information about what was going to happen, then we could take control, then we'd at least feel like we have some sort of grip on what's coming our way, we could prepare ourselves. I mean, how do you deal with expiration dates? This week, I was uh, in the grocery store, and I was buying milk. Like, I always buy milk, because, I mean, am I the only one who ever has this problem? Every single day when I'm driving home, I cannot remember, do we have milk or not? I mean, I don't know. I just cannot figure that out. I'm all, and so I always err on the side of we don't have milk because there's nothing worse. I, I mean, true. I think that there's nothing worse. Uh, you can ask my wife. I, I, I am if there is lactose intolerant. I'm the opposite. My body was made for dairy. I just I just <laughs> absorb this stuff. And there's nothing worse than when you sit down at the table, you've got everything, you've got the, you get the bowl, you got the spoon, you got the TV on, you poured the cereal in the bowl, you grab the carton, it's too light. No! No milk! So like I said, I, I err on the side of always getting milk. But this week when I was in the uh, grocery store and I'm looking at the cartons of milk, like all of them are saying December 6th. I'm like, Okay, I mean, like, yeah, I like milk, but I'm not a baby cow. Like, this isn't going to (laughs) happen. So I, like, peek down a little bit. I look at the carton behind the the first carton. December 6th. But I'm not going to give up. So I get down on my knees, and I start taking the milk out. As (laughs) I mean, imagine the grocery store workers walking by me. I just did that, man. Come on. I'm pulling them all out. I'm like, ah, December 6th, December 6th, December 6th. Come on. Finally, I find find December 8th. I'm like, ah, two more days. (laughs) Of course, I get home, I open the fridge, and there in the fridge is three-fourths a gallon of milk. And now it's a race against time. (laughs) I'm inviting the whole neighborhood over. Come on, let's have salad bowls of cereal for lunch. You gotta finish this, the baby cats. Come on, come on, just sip it up. Sip it pretty good. You don't want it to go to waste trying to control this, got the expiration date. That expiration date turns into your worst enemy. My goodness, they just it on there. How do they know? Who gave them the day? And it just haunts you and it tortures you. Have you ever drank milk after the day? I mean, do you, do some of you are like, yeah, I drink it a week after. Okay, see <laughs> <Suit> yourself. <laughs> but have you ever drank milk the day after the day? The spoon is trembling as it comes to your mouth. I asked my wife, like, did you smell it? I smelled it. Does not smell like milk? I can't remember what milk smells like anymore. <laughs> trying to take control over the situation. I'm trying to make sure that my house is stocked up with enough milk before the end of the world as I know it, or the expiration date. Question for you, if you knew the expiration date, I mean, if you knew the details... If Jesus did tell you everything, would it help? I mean, if you had some control, would it help? Does it help to have control if the world's ending? What good does control do if the world's going away? At least the world as we know it. I don't think that it does help to control. Now, we can get carried away with that because this does matter. It matters. I think that one of the temptations that Satan can throw our way is, is to make us think that, okay, the end of the world as we know it, Jesus' is second coming, we could just forget about it, put it on the back burner. We don't really have to think about it. It's not really a fun thought, for goodness sakes. I think that Satan tries to trick us with that. Just don't think about it. It's not a big deal at all. But no, it, it does matter. Jesus said in the passage today, actually, excuse me, after the passage today, he said, Don't let that day catch you unaware says this, uh, like I said, just a little bit after the passage, say in Luke chapter 21, um, toward the end of the chapter, he says, watch out, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. Jesus, I think, is lovingly, but directly saying, get your life in order. Don't wait. Don't wait until you have a lighter season of life. Don't wait until this busy season of life passes. As long as this life lasts, you will have busy seasons. Don't wait until this season for the cyclones ends and you just have a little bit more time. Don't wait. Get your life in order. This matters. Of course it matters. And yet, Jesus is urging us still, don't freak out. See, there's temptation number one that says, pretend like it's not real, pretend like it's not happening. But Jesus urges us, no, get your life in order. Be ready to plant a tree. Be in a place of peace so you don't have to freak out. Because the second temptation I think that Satan throws at us is just the opposite of pretending like it's not real. And Satan tries to make us obsess over it. Absolutely obsess over it. And I think that this is something that a lot of Christians fall into. We can't get over this. We focus on it all the time. There are many Christians who will turn to the book of Revelation, which is the end of the Bible, and it also talks about some of the things about the end of the world as we know it. And people will look at that, and they'll try to crack it like a code. I've got to figure it out. I've got to have the details. We obsess over it. When's the date? When's the time? How's it going to happen? What's it going to look like? Who's going to be here? Who's not going to be here? Who's going to disappear? And so Satan will try to make us obsess over it, but that's not what Jesus told us to do. Jesus said, I want you to have peace. And that long list that you heard in the passage, in the Bible reading today, that talked about these crazy things that will be happening. It sounds like destruction. It sounds terrible. It sounds horrible. Right in the middle of all of that, Jesus says "Not not a single hair of your head will perish. For goodness sake, when the world ends, you will not. Even your hair won't. And maybe if you lost some hair, God will give it back to you. You can be at peace. You can be at peace. I think that it's interesting. It's not just Christians who are obsessed over the end of the world. People are, just in general, everywhere. Have you noticed? People can't stop talking about the end of the world. Did you know that in the last decade alone, Hollywood has produced over uh, 120 films about the end of the world? 126, to be exact. 126 films in the last decade have come from Hollywood that focus on the end of the world. We can't stop thinking about it. We can't stop focusing on it. Why? And it's not just Hollywood. I think it's us in our own personal lives, too. I mean, whether we're directly saying it or it's just the way that we act. How do you respond when you have conflict in your life? How do you respond when your least favorite politician gets elected? Does it feel like your world is ending? Maybe it's just me, but how do you respond when you're worried that your favorite football coach is going to leave for another school and you can't stop checking Twitter every single five minutes to see if it happened? I don't know, what will my life be if he's not here? He's a human being, he has a life, he has a family, he has to do his best for them. Anyway, just me? What happens when somebody does you wrong? Do you act as if your whole life is falling apart, like the world is ending? not proud to say this, but just this week, I was in the car with my wife. We were heading to a young adults group uh, for uh, Hope Ames, and if you are a young adult and you'd like to be a part of that, let us know. We'd love for you to join. Um, we're going out to eat with a bunch of the young adults at Hope Ames, and as we're pulling in, I see this parking spot that's opening up. Somebody's going to back out, and, and I am just patiently waiting because I'm a Christian, and I, and, I, and I have forbearance in my life. Fruit of the Spirit. Come on, Jesus. And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and as soon as this car pulls out, some spot swiper just steals it away from me, (laughs) zips right on in there, and I got so mad. I was so upset about it. And the more that I reflect on it, the more that I'm sure this guy was a restless jerk who probably made his girlfriend pay for the meal. Like, I'm convinced of that. (laughs) And also, as I reflect on it, I realize I was a restless jerk acting like my world was ending. Man, some of us aren't really talking about it, but we're living like it, aren't we? Just the smallest things entirely throw us off. I think part of the reason why we talk about the end of the world, part of the reason why we act like the world is ending, is because we are convinced that the way that the world is going, as is, cannot last. Never-ending pandemic, senseless shootings, Wars all over the place, people at each other's throats. The world can't keep going like this. Of course it's going to end, right? I've got some good news for you. God's not actually obsessed with the end of the world. Did you know that? I think while most of us are obsessed with the end of the world, God's not obsessed with the end of the world. In the book of Revelation, where many Christians will turn to to learn about the end of the world, Jesus surprises us. He's not talking about the end of the world. Instead, he says, look, I'm making everything new. God's not obsessed with the end of the world. Instead, God promises when the world gets to a place of ruins, when it's falling apart, when it feels like your world is ending, I won't let it stay that way. Instead, I'm making everything new. And it turns this upside down world right side up. And God is telling us, I believe through the scriptures, that your world is not ending. It's only beginning. Everything is being made new. Your life, your body, the hair on your head. You can have peace. One of my favorite theologians said this about the book of Revelation. When you look at the book of Revelation, again, the book that people will oftentimes look to when they're looking for answers about the end of the world. When you look at the book of of Revelation, when you look at other passages about the apocalypse, if you will, in the scriptures, and if you walk away from those feeling terrified, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Jesus came to give us good news. Every single thing that Jesus has for you is good news because God loves you and God cares about you. What if we had that confidence? I mean, seriously, what if we had that confidence? Will we really be so concerned about having control about the end of the world? Will we really be so concerned about having control about what's going to come next? Will we really be so concerned about when it's going to happen? Or will we simply be confident and trusting and have peace in knowing that there is a God? I am not that God, but that God loves me. And that God has promised to make things new. And so even if the world around me is falling apart, I will not. Because He cares for me. Suddenly, when we read this apocalyptic, these apoc- apocalyptic, geez, say that five times fast. Suddenly, when we read these apocalyptic script, passages in Scripture, when we read an apocalyptic book, like the book of Revelation, we can have peace. And at the same time, we don't have to have control. It is possible to have peace without control. There's something that I've been hearing Christians saying a lot, especially in the last ten years. And it almost becomes like, I don't know, who can outdo the other people with who says it wilder, or crazier, or has more reasons for it? But I hear Christians saying a lot like, "We're living in the end times." How do you know that? Because I've read the Bible and I've seen the warning signs. Where are you getting your information from? Well, have you had, have you read the Book of Revelations? I, I've never read the Book of Revelations. It's not a book. It's the Book of Revelation. I just I get it. It's splitting hairs, but please, mm, please do your pastor a favor. Get that one right. We open the book of Revelation and we think that it's a letter to ourselves, but it's not, is it? Revelation chapter 1 says clearly, this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. We approach the book of Revelation thinking that it's a code to crack to be able to know what's coming our way as if that's the point about Jesus making everything new. But very clearly, John opens this book by saying, it's not to you. In fact, he doesn't even say that to you because he's concerned with the people he's actually writing the letter to. If there's a code to crack in the book of Revelation, it's this. Stop reading someone else's mail as if it was written for you. There's context. And it doesn't mean that this book has nothing to do with us. But when we study the book of Revelation, like when we study any book in the Scriptures, we need to look at that context and then... And then, and I mean after, and then, after we've looked at the context, think about the implications that it has for our life. And we'll see that the implications are huge. They're powerful. They're life-changing. So what was the context of the book of Revelation, this book that so many people go to when they talk about the end of the world, when they're trying to find out answers about the end of the world? Well, in Revelation chapter 2, John writes this, I know about your suffering and poverty. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. John is writing this book at the end of the first century. He's writing to a group of Christians who are are about to endure great oppression. They were living, living under an emperor named Nero, Nero had a predecessor who was going to uh, embark on a brutal, systematic uh, persecution of Christians. Uh, the, 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 the officials and the, the governments around them, the systems would demand the Christians to worship Caesar. They didn't care if you worship God and if you profess Jesus as Lord, but they said you also have to worship Caesar. And when the Christians said, no, we will not do that, the Romans, they threatened them said, okay, well, if you don't do that, we're going to torture you. We're going to execute you. Uh, We're going to kill your families. We're going to ruin your life. We're going to end your world as you know it. And that's exactly what happened. John is writing this before that happened, but that is exactly what happened. But how did they handle that? How did they handle it when their entire world, as they knew it, was coming to an end? Well, this is a fact. We know that the growth of the early Christian church happened because of the death of early Christians. Isn't that crazy? The early Christian church grew more as more early Christians were executed. I mean, first off, that makes me feel very grateful for when I live and where I live. I think that it's always important to remember something like that. But second off, what was it that they had? How did they face it? Why did that happen? There's one ancient historian who reflected over the martyrs of the early Christians and wrote that their deaths were like fertilizer for the church. Because as the executioners were killing them, they were killing people who were at peace. There are ancient recordings of early Christians who were being killed with smiles on their faces. They had joy. And these executioners wondered, where can I get something like that? Now, I'm not saying that it should be your life goal to have that same experience. It should not be your life goal. Jesus never said that you need to literally, physically die for him. Jesus literally, physically died for you so that you can live forever. But I do think that it's saying something to us. Here's the implication. John wrote something to those people. John gave them a hope. John reminded them of a piece through the book of Revelation in this letter to those churches once upon a time that allowed them to be able to face what they were going through. And if John gave them something that allowed them to get through what they were going through, the implication is this. It will help us get through what we need to go through. If what John wrote was able to get them through that, it should absolutely suffice for what we need to get through today even when it feels like the world around us is falling apart. Do you still feel like you need control? Or do you feel like you need to know the one who's in control? I am limited. I am finite. I'm human. And so are you. Even if I had control, I'd lose it pretty quickly. But I know a God, and I hope you know a God, bigger than this world. So even if the world as we know it comes to an end, he will not. And neither will those whom he loves. That's you. I think that um, when we find that peace, we're able to to cease this desire to even have control over it because it's no longer our expectation or need or or, uh, desire. Jesus frees us of that in Matthew chapter 24 when he says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. So again, if you find yourself in a tempting place of saying, we're living in the end times, you have no right. (laughs) God bless you. (laughs) For the life of me, I, I just, I can't, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. Jesus himself said, I don't know. In the mystery of the Trinity, Jesus says the Father is the only one who knows. And so, If anybody tells you they know, they're guessing. And if they're right, they should have bought lottery tickets, but it was too late anyway, I guess. So, Only Jesus knows. You know, it's okay to live in mystery. Mysteries are neat, aren't they? Mysteries are beautiful, especially when the things in the mystery still end up coming together. Like, it's mysterious because you don't know how it's going to work out, but it's beautiful because somehow it ends up working out. And Jesus is saying, this is exactly that. There is a mystery. You don't know how, you don't know when, you don't know what, but you do know who. And that's enough. I mean, does it really help to know all the details? If the world around us is falling apart, is it more helpful to know the details or to know the God who's in charge of the details? My family and I used to go on road trips. I always did my best to take the back seat of the car, and I'd always shout out to my dad in the front seat, whether he was driving or my mom was driving, and I'd say, hey, are, when are we going to get there? Any of you relate? I'm sorry, I, I don't know. <laughs> if I'm bringing up bad memories, like, oh, you got like a twitch. My kids always ask that. Maybe someday I'll understand why that's an annoying question, but even last week when we were driving to Chicago, I asked my dad, hey, how far are we? And he answered the same way that he's always answered. When I was a kid, I'd ask, hey, when are we going to get there? And he goes, eh, 10 minutes, 20 at the most. We might have been 10 hours away, and he would still say, 10 minutes, 20 at the most. Now, never mind the fact that my dad and your senior pastor blatantly lied to me Uh, There's something neat about it. I didn't need to know when we were going to get there. Because I knew my dad would get me there. Because he's my dad. Because I know him, and I know that he knows me, and I know that he loves me, and I know that he's not going to leave me on the side of the road, like where he's going to get me there. So suddenly I can enjoy the ride. When I was going into seventh grade, we were taking a family road trip out to the national parks out west. And um, we got to Yellowstone. And at the time, the only thing I really knew about Yellowstone was Old Faithful. And that's the only thing I cared about. And so when we got to Yellowstone, I was sleeping in the back seat. And I wanted to stay asleep. And so my parents are shouting me in the back seat, Danny, wake up. Don't miss the beauty. I was so concerned about the destination that I was about to miss Yellowstone. I was about to miss the most, the most impressive, the most beautiful journey that I could have ever imagined as a seventh grade boy. I didn't want to wake up. I was just concerned about the destination. But my parents said, no, Danny, you will wake up and you will see this and you'll thank us for it one day. And certainly I'm glad that they woke me up. It's not so much about a destination. It's about who's with you along the ride. It's about who's getting you there. No, you don't have the details. Yes, there's mystery. You might wonder sometimes, what's going to happen next? The last couple months, I've been spending a lot of my time wondering, what's going to happen next? I don't know the details. Is this possible? It's going to work out. In the last month here in the auditorium, we've been telling you about the Field of Hope Project. The Field of Hope Project um, is our church's uh, giving campaign to try to purchase land here in Ames where we will eventually uh, buy, uh, hopefully buy uh, some land where we can uh, eventually build a church home. Um, and, and in our minds, like we, we had all the right reasons for it, right? The totally right approach, You know, this isn't something that we're buying to reward ourselves. Instead, this is something that we're buying so that it can be a gift to this community where every single person is welcome to experience the soul-satisfying love of Jesus. This is why we're doing it, and we mean it. But I can tell you this. It was going to take a miracle for this to be possible. And over the last several months, when I was meeting with the Field of Hope team at the Link, they can tell you, we had some very candid conversations when I was saying to them, I don't think we can do that. we set a goal where we were going to have to raise $850,000 in order to obtain this land. Now, just to put that in perspective, two years ago, when we weren't in a pandemic, and when we were able to have everybody gather in person and half of our church wasn't gathering online, we raised just over $600,000 for our Hope Dreams project, which helped us buy the link. And so I'm sitting here thinking, what are we doing? (laughs) And I spent a lot of time in prayer with God. Like, God, I'm gonna need you to give me a sign to tell me if we're doing the right thing. And I think that's so often how we approach our faith. God, give me a sign to let it ignite my faith. We want signs to ignite our faith, but I've found in my experiences, and I think that maybe you'll find in yours, that signs don't ignite our faith, but signs affirm our faith. God does not give you the answers before he says, step and walk with me. He says, step and walk with me. Enjoy the beauty. Don't miss the beauty. I know you're so concerned about the destination, but open your eyes. There's beauty around you today and now. Open your eyes now. And so I think somewhat reluctantly, I went into this thinking, okay, team, if this fails, it's on us, you, us, (laughs) God. (laughs) It's on God. And uh, I I think it's time uh, to see the sign, huh? So I want to invite our Field of Hope team to the front. Um, and I'm, they're going to be carrying some signs. And, uh, and you we're going to find out. And I probably should have had them come up a little bit sooner so I didn't have to stall for the next minute. Um, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll figure out how to do this. So uh, as I said, it was going to take $850,000 pledged from our congregation in order to obtain uh, land here in Ames for us to eventually build a church home. That was a huge and enormous goal. Um, and uh, before we reveal any of this, I do think that this is actually appropriate that I have some time here, because I want to make sure that I thank these people who are coming forward. And it's not the entire team. There are others who are out uh, in the congregation today. Um, would you please give God praise for our Field of Hope team and just the work that they've done? They've, they've truly been amazing. Um, now, the book of Revelation, actually, uh, Revelation literally means the revealing. Um, and so we're going to reveal some numbers to you today to see if it happens. So let's just go ahead, for the sake of suspense, start with the cents at the end, behind the decimal point. We didn't wrap up the decimal point or the comma or the dollar sign, because I didn't want anybody to come in here being, we raised $100 million. <laughs> no, we didn't. But uh, let's go ahead. And, and you guys can start to unwrap, but just go ahead and hide for a second. OK, we're off to a good start. We raised $0.85. Cents. We know for sure that we raised $0.85. Cents. Let's keep on making our way down the uh, line here. And uh, you guys can, I mean really the big numbers that are gonna matter is this last one. So let's keep that cl- closed for a second. But the rest of you, you can go ahead and unwrap. Okay. There's a two and a one at the end, lots of zeros. And let's get a drum roll for this last uh, number. Is that okay? <laughs> well, do you see it? Go! Oh! Well. We said from the very beginning that we were going to praise God and thank God Danny, before, during, Danny, and after, no matter Danny, what. And so I just Danny, want to make sure that we... It's hit... not the end of the world yet. Steve! Danny, hey, as guys, we know it. it hey, uh, it's Steve Simpson, I, who is our, I found uh, one of another, our co-chairs for the found, Field of Hope I team. I found another one that... You found what? I found, a, found this. Would you mind opening that up? Okay, I, sure. Well, this is crazy. I. What? Um, oh no. well, lost one. you lost one. Oh, you got to be kidding me. What? What? Oh, come on. What? Oh, hold, on. hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I have a comma on both sides. Is this an apostrophe? <laughs> it's still a million, right? Yeah. Give God praise. That's nuts. I tell you what, church. uh, Our church home suddenly got a lot closer, huh? That's pretty crazy. And we're still going to say the same thing that we said from the start. It's not a reward for us. It's a gift to this community. The land that we buy from this money is going to be a place where every single person is welcome to experience the soul-satisfying love of Jesus. Every single person is welcome there. Praise God for that. You guys can take your seats. I... uh, I thought you guys might like that. That's pretty crazy. Um, thank you so much. You are such a faithful congregation. Um, and I, I've said this to our team um, in the last week. I, I'm the luckiest pastor in the world. I, I can't think of a single pastor in the world who has it better than me to to be surrounded by such amazing people, by such an incredible congregation um, who just lets God give a gift like that through you. Thank you. And um, now you might be thinking, okay, Danny, you just talked all about how it's not about the destination, but then you just... Revealed this big number is that, the, the, but it's not the destination, is it? Because I'm going to tell you this: we're not like breaking ground today. We can't. <laughs> we have a church constitution that says that we're not going to go into we're not going to go into deeper debt in order to build uh, the building on the land that we just bought. We'll we'll pay it off. We'll be responsible about it. We'll be faithful with it. We promise to do that with the money that you've pledged. You have our word on that. Um, we uh, we trust God to continue to do. Um, amazing things to this congregation, so in a few years from now, we'll we'll have to do another giving campaign to to build a building. This isn't the destination. We're not there yet, and even someday when we do move into a church building, it's still not the destination, is it? still the journey. Still don't have all the answers. We Still haven't cracked the scroll with everything we've ever wondered about our lives. I want to point you back to the book of Revelation one more time as we close here. In the book of Revelation, John, the author, is given a vision. And in this vision, he sees a scroll. We don't know exactly what the scroll is, but what we do know from the context of the passage is when John sees this scroll, he knows that he's not worthy to open it and read it. So whatever this scroll is, it must contain something, something about the answers of life, something about the mystery of the world that we can't comprehend as human beings. And it says that John began to weep bitterly because there was nobody who was worthy. There's nobody who could have the kind of power and control over this scroll to open it and see what God had planned for all of, the, all of the world. And it made him sad. I think sometimes we feel sad when it feels like the world is entirely out of control. Does anybody have a grip on this place? Does anybody know where this is going? I'm scared right now. But then an angel says to John, stop weeping. Look, the lion, the tribe of Judah, has won the victory, and he is worthy to open the scroll. I wonder if John, for a moment, is filled with hope. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, of course, it makes so much sense. A lion, this majestic, powerful creature, would be the only one worthy to be able to open such a mighty and powerful scroll. Of course, something roaring like a lion. But then he looks. And when he looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb that looks as if it had been slaughtered. But the lamb was now standing. And the lamb stepped forward and took the scroll. When John wondered about all the answers of the world, where everything was going, when everything seemed out of control, he heard there was a lion that was strong enough to win a victory over every enemy. And he saw a humble lamb who had been sacrificed but was living. Jesus Christ is the lion who wins a victory over everything that is seeming to end your world right now. He is the lion who roars in victory over anything that seems like it could end you. And he's the humble lamb who would die for you so that you could live. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know what. But I know who's going with us. He is the lion, he is the lamb, and he is making everything new. Get your hopes up. Contrary to what the world has told you, get your hopes up. If you believe you're dreaming big, dream bigger. If you believe you're optimistic, get more optimistic. Get your hopes up. The world isn't ending, it's only beginning. And you'll be made new. Jesus did it in the act of a lamb. A sacrificial lamb. And the night before he was um, crucified, he sat with his disciples. He took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body and it's given for you and for the forgiveness of sins. And when you eat this, do it in remembrance of me, the lion and the lamb. Then again after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and he poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. And when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me, the lion and the lamb. Jesus taught us some words to pray and we'll pray that those words now. They'll be on the screen behind me. It goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear what you just prayed? The kingdom the power, and the glory. They belong to God, the powerful lion, and also the humble lamb who shares his victory with you. God has provided a gift through this congregation, but it is God's gift to us that gives us life. And we're going to receive that gift this morning through communion. Ushers will guide you down to the front, um, our um, communion attendants will uh, have sanitized and they'll be wearing their gloves and they're going to hand you one of these prepackaged communion packets you can take it back to your seat um, and in your seat you can open up the top and you can receive the bread know that this is the body of Christ given for you and then you can drink the grape juice that's at the bottom and know that this is the blood of Christ shed for you every single person is welcome at the table of God Every single person is welcome to receive the soul satisfying love of Jesus. That's why we operate this church the way that we do. When the world as we know it ends, I think it'll be like this. I mean, I don't have a scroll that's told me that necessarily, but the Bible does tell us that we'll get together and we'll sing, we'll be full of joy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the book of Revelation tells us. And if I have the chance, I'm going to preach the shortest sermon of my entire life, and I'm just going to stand there and say, I told you! (laughs) I told you it was good news. More importantly, God tells you it's good news. So come forward, receive his gift, and let that give you life. Life that's won by the lion, given by the lamb. His name is Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.